Today's TribCast is presented by the Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas. The Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, Inc. Board of Directors has selected Jamie Wazalowski as the organization's next president and chief executive officer. Learn more at news.mhm.org. And Texas Farm Bureau. Fairness is a casualty in many eminent domain takings. That's why Texas landowners want and need eminent domain reform. Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas guys Good morning, Texas. This is Energy and Natural Resources Attorney Miguel Suazo. I'm the Democratic nominee for Texas Land Commissioner. You know, I might be the youngest candidate on the statewide ballot, but I am still old enough to remember the Alamo. Introducing the host of today's TribCast, the hard-hitting investigative journalist who broke the news of my candidacy to the state of Texas, Patrick Svitek. Thank you. This is Patrick Svitek here on Wednesday, July 18th with your Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Political editor Aman Bathija. Hello. And reporter Emma Platedoff. Hi there. Uh, we'll also be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so please uh, send them their, send them our way, and we'll try to get to them uh, as we have the time that permits. The intros um, are always so much easier when Evan's not here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's so always like we get through yeah. it. In. Right. Plus, nobody's cut Fifteen yet. seconds. We have to work, our, work on our game. <laughs> Uh, so let's, let's get right into it. Last week, we started uh, getting fundraising numbers in some key congressional races on our last trip cast. It was just kind of when all the numbers were starting to come out and we were starting to see the picture. Um, the deadline was was over the weekend, and now we are able to look at all these campaign finance reports, uh, particularly in the, in the federal races, and get the full picture. What do we learn about how Democrats are doing financially in some of these congressional races that are being targeted uh, nationally? Democrats are... What's amazing is they're not only outraising Republicans, but even in races where they're not, you know, the Republicans are raising more, they're raising a lot more than they did last cycle. Like Brian Babin's opponent is, uh, she's raised, um, I think, 500,000. And that's a district that... That's a, considered a pretty safe Republican district, right? Yeah, like one of the safest in the state, maybe. Right. And so the fact that the Democrat is even raising a half a million dollars this cycle, uh, and that's not, I'm sorry, that's not the second quarter, that's the whole cycle. Um that just shows that Democrats are really kind of investing around the state, um, or at least campaigns are in, in those races. It's, it's early to have done this. I'm, I'm going to be curious to know if uh, this is new money, if these are new donors, or if the money is being distributed differently. You know, is this the regular political economy? You know, and, and because they're not giving money, for example, to the Democratic candidate for governor, where, you know, a lot of money gets usually sopped up, are they distributing their money differently? Or is are we seeing a new set of donors whose interests are different and whose focus is on Congress instead of state races or legislative races and things like that. Yeah. Oh, you guys hit on all topics I want to get to in, in, in a little bit, but just backing up a little bit, if you look at there, I think there are five congressional Republican-held congressional districts in Texas that the DCCC considers part of its battlefield, battleground. Uh, three of those they're focusing the most closely on, Culberson, Sessions, Heard. In those three, and I guess more broadly those five districts, what did we see in the fundraising reports? Uh, Democrats outraised Republicans, I believe, in all five. Uh, right. So that's a really, um, you know, and some of these Republicans like Sessions and Culberson, they've known for a while that they're targets. And the fact that Democrats are able to outraise them just shows, I think it's, it's I think broadly it's a big anti-Trump uh, mentality that's 
boosting uh, this fundraising? Well, and there, there are different reasons to be involved in some of these races. If you're a donor, you know, the, the three target races that are at the top of the list are races where Republicans hold seats where Clinton beat Trump. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that's become sort of a standard uh, quick acid test measure of whether a district might be vulnerable. In some of these other districts, you know, John Carter's district, just north of Austin, um, it's a case where the Democrats have a what they think is a really good candidate in MJ Hager and what they think it may be a sleeping incumbent in, in right. John Carter. That's sort of a standard, um, you know, it's not really about the year, it's kind of more about the situation. And right. So different reasons to get into these things, but, you know, Hager's an example, and I guess there are a couple of others of these floating around. Hager's an example of catching fire a little bit, in her case with an ad, you know, Beto O'Rourke has caught on with his trips and things, right. but if you can catch some conversation in some kind of wave, it looks like you attract some money by doing so. Yeah, and it, and in, it should be noted, I think, in, in, in the Carter district, as well as the open seat in Texas 21, where Lamar Smith is retiring, right. not only did the Democrat outraise the Republican for the period, but also has more cash on hand at this point. And in, and in the case of Carter's district, I think MJ Hager has, you know, three or four times uh, as much cash on hand as he Yeah, has. after her ad, was it, uh, right. help me, 750000 in the yeah, two weeks we, after I her we ad? we discussed this last raised. week on the TripCast, but yeah, and the, you know, several days after it, she raised right. three quarters of a million dollars, ended up raising over a million dollars, uh, you know, is now up to like eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000 cash on hand. Right. Um, it's really lopsided at this point. Now, we are early, so there's four months before the elections, and the Republicans, you know, have time to turn this into a wake-up call. I mean, they, you know, I'm sure they're blowing the whistle and saying, hey, you know, right. the T-Rex the in my rearview mirror is a little close to the car. Could you help me out here? We may see something completely different in the next quarterly reports on the federal stuff. Well, and a little more context, um, these second quarter reports, Democrats are beating Republicans in fundraising, but over the cycle, it isn't quite that story. Uh, we, we had a story today looking at uh, how all the House candidates uh, how much they raised this cycle, so last year and so far this year, and what their 2016 counterparts raised up to this point. And Republicans are about flat, 34 million two years ago, uh, and about 30 mil, uh, 32 million, I think. Um, I'm sorry, 32 million two years ago, 30, 35 million this year. Uh, but Democrats have basically doubled their fundraising. Two years ago, they had raised 11 million, now they've raised about 22 million. So they're still behind Republicans, but all the momentum is kind of on their side. Right. Yeah. Just to clarify what I said, it was uh, Carter, uh, it was a four to one advantage in funds raised for the period that Hager had over Carter. I think the, the cash on hand is a little closer, right. but she still eclipsed him in cash on hand by a significant margin. Right. Uh, Amon, you mentioned the Brian Babin district. So one, I think one of the headlines that stood out to me the most about this, this fundraising period was that we saw Democrats have fundraising success in districts that aren't part of that five district, uh, you know, target space that DCCC has. You mentioned Brian Babin and his Democratic challenger. Are there any other really deep red districts or districts that aren't necessarily considered in play where we saw this? There was, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm blanking on which yeah, ones were. Yeah, Pete Olson's district, I oh, think, right, is probably yeah. the one, one that comes yeah. to mind. Todd um, Litton has been, he's been fundraising well for a while now. Um, and so has Joe Bart, uh, in Joe Barton's seat, um, right. uh, Jalen Sanchez right. has also been uh, fundraising. competitive, at yeah. least. And what's been striking about those is until Without those fun those fundraising numbers, I think even this year, people wouldn't be saying those districts are really competitive. But when you see the Democrat fundraising so well, right. it's, it's kind of raised interest of people wondering, well, maybe that is competitive. Who knows what's going on this year? You know, the, the Olson seat includes, you know, Fort Bend County, which has been a big, right. notable demographic shift for, you know, a decade and a half now. And 
the Democrats keep hoping that this shift will go their way. They had a, um, you know, they had a candidate in a Republican primary against Joan Huffman, whose district overlaps the state senator from Houston, and and thought, you know, maybe that would be a test case. It looks right. like the Republicans, at least in that case, held. Olson doesn't look like he's in any trouble, but I mean, at least on paper. But then you look at numbers like this, and you say, well, I wonder if something's rumbling out there. Yeah. I mean, can, can we declare these districts in play at this point, or is it just too early to say? I mean, well, what, what, is, what is the effect of these fundraising numbers you know, in districts that aren't necessarily part of the, the doll, landscape? Dollars aren't votes. Right, Ask exactly. Wendy Davis, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is you, it's very difficult to win a race, especially if you're unknown without money. But the fact that you have money is not a guarantee that you're going to win a race. And the, and the fact that you have more money than your opponent is no guarantee. If you have enough money, then, you know, everybody walks into the voting booth, presumably in November or if they vote early in October, and knows who they're voting for. But these districts have histories, most of these districts have really strong recent histories of voting for Republicans, and you'd have to have something uh, big and other than money going on in order for the Democrats to win these races. That's not to say it's not there. It's just right. that we're not going to see that in financial reports. Yeah. And, you know, some of these incum Republican incumbents, they're, they're, they're worried they're going to lose and they're going to fight to win. Others aren't, I think, aren't worried they're going to lose, but they are worried about winning with such a tight margin that suddenly they're seen as a potential toss-up district and two years from now they have a real race. Right, exactly. Right. We come back two years later. Uh, we also got state-level fundraising reports uh, more recently, actually. Uh, so this detailed the finance, finances, campaign finances for statewide candidates, state lawmakers. Uh, at the top of the ticket, uh, Lupe Valdez, Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott's Democratic challenger, continues to... He had, he had more money, right? Yeah. <laughs> continues to dramatically uh, you know, trail him. Um, what else did you guys see in these reports that stood out to you? Well, um, I mean, that, you know, yeah. back up for a minute. That one in particular, it just, it's a Bambi versus Goliath thing. I mean, it's, you know, if, if money was votes, this would be over. Um, Abbott's a relatively popular incumbent. I mean, if you just look at our polling and everything, and Valdez is still trying to get traction against him. Um, she's going to have, you know, a Democratic base vote. I mean, that showed up in our polling as well. But she's not got the donors as excited as Wendy Davis, say, four years ago did at this point. And it doesn't look like money's going to be the thing that does it unless something changes very, very quickly. Help me with her numbers. It was under 400000 It was two twenty. Okay. She has two hundred twenty thousand dollars cash on hand. Yeah. Meanwhile, Abbott has bought more than a hundred times more. <laughs> well, <laughs> Abbott, Abbott, Abbott has pre-purchased yeah. pre sixteen million dollars worth of television advertising. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And, I mean, and still yeah. has twenty-nine million dollars right. in his back pocket. Yeah. How far does sixteen million dollars get you uh, on TV in Texas? Probably eight weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, you know, it's probably he's bought from, if you just bought backwards, I doubt that he did it exactly like right. this, but if you just bought backwards from election day and went backwards on the calendar, he's bought back into September. Well, right. I, I suspect in a campaign like this, he's going to start probably sometime in August and then right. really hit the, hit the gas after Labor Day. What um, our DC reporter, Abby Livingston, was telling me is that she's been hearing some questioning of like, you know, if Republican congressional incumbents are not fundraising great. They're wondering how much can Abbott's ad spending help them? Like how much, how much are his ads going right. to be about the Republican ticket and not just him? And yeah. could that boost their, could that aid their campaigns? I guess I'd ask um, the opponents to Sarah Davis and Lyle Larson how helpful <laughs> an, an Abbott endorsement can be. And these are the two candidates that Abbott sort of um, picked out in the, in the primaries to run against incumbent Republicans in the House. Abbott's yeah. not really known for 
running a ticket. He's more known for running an. Does that change the cycle though? I mean, do you feel like the 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 only only to the extent that it's an advantage? I mean, you know, if they've got a political advantage in helping this race or that race, yeah, I could see it. On the other hand, you know, Abbott's campaign um, has laboratory money. You know, they have so much money that they can. Uh, fiddle around, try this, try that, see if this works. What about that? Right. And they've shown some proclivity. Dave Carney, his his lead consultant, and some of the other folks in that campaign have shown some interest over the last, you know, four or five cycles to experiment when they can. And, you know, I expect we'll see some of that kind of thing. But, you know, we've never seen Abbott really run a ticket campaign before where I'm, I'm going to pull the sled for everybody else, maybe this time. Um, Patrick, you mentioned statewide candidates. One of the ones I'm kind of interested in is the statewide judicial candidates. The statewide judicial candidates. Usually very sleepy races. (laughs) Very sleepy races. Very boring. No one basically knows any of their names. Nothing to see here, right? Including maybe even some of the people in our newsroom. But um, (laughs) the statewide judicial candidate. (laughs) That that sounded personal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The statewide judicial candidate, the cycle with most cash on hand right now, is a Democrat. There hasn't been a Democrat on either of the state's two highest courts in more than two decades. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Obviously, the question still stands, does money equal votes in this in this case? And uh, that, that remains to be seen, but right. still an interesting note. Yeah, we, we got to move on from fundraising, but one last question I think ties a bow on all this is, is why do you think we've seen such different levels of fundraising success between Democrats running for federal office in Texas and state office? I mean, there's clearly, if you look at the statewide candidates versus the congressional candidates versus Beto O'Rourke, there are clear disparities. Uh, in right. At the state level, you don't have fundraising limits. You could, <laughs> you know, that's, that adds another layer of irony to the dis- disparity we've mm-hmm. seen. Why, why do you think that is? The fight's at the federal level. The fight from the Democrats is to resist Trump, I mean, in a broad sense. And the way that you resist Trump, I guess, if you're a Democrat, is you support members of, you know, future mm-hmm. potential members of Congress who will oppose him. The president's not on the ballot this time, so, you know, try to elect people who will oppose him. I mean, we're already seeing some conversation from Ted Cruz and from Beto O'Rourke in the Senate race about the Supreme Court nomination. It's, you know, it's, they're having a race, but it's about Trump. Right. And just Democrats are really energized by the impeachment prospect and winning back the House so they, so that could potentially move forward. Uh, You know, you've, you've heard Beto O'Rourke just yesterday. Yeah, Re- definitely want to talk about that in our next topic. Yeah. Uh, reiterate that that he is uh, that he he supports uh, he's a he's a yes vote on impeachment. Um, re- Republicans in the nineties, right. you know, it's, right, just, yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Let's they're motivated by Clinton. These guys are motivated by Trump. So I think a lot of the money is just uh, galvanized around that idea. And if you're gonna be motivated by that, then you're only interested in federal races. Yeah, right. All right, we got to move on to our next topic. Uh, before we do, uh, just a reminder to our audience, you can shoot us uh, questions on social media, and we'll try to uh, mix them in to the best of our ability. Um, so this week, uh, and you kind of alluded to this with uh, your work crew's comments, you know, this week began with this remarkable news conference between mm-hmm. President Donald Trump and, and Russian President Vladimir Putin, uh, where Trump, you know, all but sided uh, against the U.S. intelligence community's consensus on, on Russian interference in the 2016 election, sided with, with Putin. There was an attempt to kind of walk it back, clean it up yesterday. Um, what did we hear from Texas Republicans initially about this? What The people who did speak up, what were they saying? And I guess more importantly, who, who did we not hear from? Well, we heard from uh, Will Hurd, who has, you know, is in the Kind of the swing, the, the the swingiest swing district in Texas. He's in the only district that's a swing district on paper, right? And right. Um, so, and as you know, given that, and also that he is a former CIA agent, he um, he has been the most critical of Trump in anything related to Russia and uh, election interference. And he was pretty um, 
he was pretty uh, clear that he was that he opposed what Trump uh, did at that press conference. Um, and you heard from Cruz and Cornyn some um, disagreement, calling it a mistake and right. things like that. Um, and honestly, that was about it. Most of the there were a few other uh, Joe Republicans. Strauss tweeted. Uh, sure, yeah, some, I'm, I'm, Strauss terms, was pretty strong about it. Yeah, right. and, yep. and in terms of Congress. Uh, most of the Republic, of the 27 Repo- Texas Republicans there did not say much. And um, I, th- I think that's kind of been the pattern of the Trump administration. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but not a lot of, you know, I mean, the, you know, one measure of this is how strongly did they defend him. And, you know, mostly what we got was crickets. Um, right. That's true, yeah. And, and so, you know, first position is, you know, I'm not going to defend that. And second position is, well, I have to say something, right? right. Well, mm-hmm. Cornyn's defense was basically maybe he was confused, right? He said Trump <laughs> conflated meddling right. in the 2016 election with which, collusion with his campaign, which is Trump is obviously defending himself against. But yeah, well, as far as a defense, yeah. that's not the one I'd love to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trump is clearly right? unable to separate those two issues. Right. He takes any question about Russia as, as, you know, having to do with undermining his election win and, um, so maybe Corner has a point there, but Corner definitely wasn't among those who came out and criticized the president yeah. strongly at all. It was yeah. kind of the gentle disagreement. You and know, all, yeah. all the polling that leads to this, I mean, you know, for the last two years, for the last two and a half years, is that there's very little daylight between um, Republican voters and Trump. Their, you know, their approval of him is very high. It was high in our polling in June. And you take on Trump at the risk of the Republican base. There's also been some polling, you know, we did some polling a year ago or so that uh, showed that Republican, that sort of standard issue Republican antipathy to Russia in Texas had fallen kind of in accord with this affinity for, for right. Trump. You know, they're more for Trump. They're, they weren't for Russia, but they were less against Russia in an interesting way. And we wrote some about that. I think Republicans were afraid to step into this because, you know, the, the base voters in the Republican Party that they're going to need in the midterm elections in November have been strongly with Trump, and they haven't had time, I guess, to get a read that says those voters are um, dismayed enough to yeah. give them some room here. So I think, I think that explains why everybody was so quiet. Except for, you know, as usual, two Republicans who are leaving their positions this year, right. retiring House Speaker Joe Strauss, as we mentioned, and just this morning, State Rep Jason Bialba, who lost his Dallas area primary in March, said, you know, we need to impeach Trump. We have the op-ed on our website. So again, there's some more boldness for people who don't have to immediately run for election. Yeah, yeah. he peeled off quite an email. I, you know, we turned it into a... a right a piece in Trib Talk, then it's up now. Um, but he credited it. I thought this was interesting. He credited his criticisms earlier of Trump for his uh, loss in a Republican primary in March. I don't know if that's exactly right. right but that's how he sees it. Um, pretty interesting. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's been something that the Republican Party in Texas and around the country has yeah. been kind of grappling with since Trump became a presidential candidate of, you know, are, how, are you against him? Are you for him? Are you just kind of agnostic? And they've all been kind of shifting on that over the campaign and then over his presidency. Both of these, both of these guys, as Emma points out, are, are, you know, already dead. So, right. They don't have any, they don't have anything at risk at this point. And they, um, you know, both of them have been critical of Trump before, to be fair, but you know, their risk is pretty low. If you're on the right. ballot and you're looking at Republican voters and 78 to 82 percent of them think Trump is the is the bomb, then you're going to stick with Trump. Right. 
Yeah, I was going to say, not to discount the statements of those who spoke out, but I, I will believe something has changed in Texas politically right. when it's not just Will Hurd, Joe Strauss, and, and Jason Villalba. Dan Patrick steps up to the microphone. Right, exactly, right. exactly <laughs> like that. Uh, Amon, you mentioned the, the Senate race. This issue kind of played out pretty quickly in the Senate race. Beto O'Rourke uh, was responding to some questions yesterday in Washington, said Cruz didn't respond forcefully enough. He also said, uh, you know, said again that he would vote to impeach Trump, especially in light of this Russian, uh, this Putin press conference. Um, who benefits from discussion of impeachment in the Senate race? You Is could argue both of them yeah. too, because um, you know no, that's that, a good. Yeah, I like that. Because because uh, Cruz sent out a fundraising email. You know, can you believe my opponent? He wants to impeach Trump, and I I haven't seen it, but I if if Bitter right, hasn't yeah. sent one. Can out. you believe my opponent? He doesn't want to impeach Trump. Exactly. <laughs> right. So if 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 the race really is about galvanizing, you know, the far left and the far right for each respective uh, campaign, and if if. I don't know if they've given up on the middle, but they're not as focused on that because they just think it's all about enthusiasm on their side. Then this this issue is great for both of them. This would be a great question in a in a Senate debate. <laughs> you know, write the other guys' um, fundraising right. email. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> they can both do it. Uh, I mean, Cruz is pretty open about the fact that he's not seeking to run to the middle. I mean, that this is a base turnout election. I mean, he said that about every previous election he's you run know, in before. He's just that kind of candidate. Cruz and you know, Dan Patrick overtures to the Senate. You know, notably, sure. those those two um, sort of got rid of an old formula. You know, it used to be run to the base of your party in the primary and then in the general election run back to the middle, and neither of them did it, and both of them have succeeded as a result. So, you know, I'd be surprised if, if Cruz did moderate at this point. Yeah. Within Texas politics, though, I mean, impeachment still seems to be something that is not a widespread, doesn't have wide, widespread support. I mean, we've heard from Beto O'Rourke. Al Green obviously has led on this nationally. Um, Jason Vialba is now throwing his hat in the <laughs> ring. Uh, but I mean, who else, who else talks about it? Um, you know, I, at least I, Demo in support of it. You know, we uh, polled actually most, I think all the Democrats running right, right. Uh, in the primary uh, for Congress. And I believe a, 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 several of them said, yes, they support uh, their yes vote. But most of the incumbents were a maybe or would it respond? Uh, I think they all yeah. are wary of that getting kind of hung around their necks. It's, you know, a lot of this is who you're with. I mean, the polling is really, really, um, it's, you know, we talk about polarized, but the polling is really out there. Like only 7% of Democrats approve of Trump and only 12 or 13% of Republicans don't approve of Trump. So who you're with determines where you're going to stand on this. Right, right. All right, before our final topic, I'd like to thank another TripCast sponsor, the Texas Association of Realtors. Are your property taxes too high? It's time to take action. Learn more at hiddenpropertytax.com. All right, for our last topic here, it's another political issue. Um, some of you may not know it, but early voting is underway right now for a special election in Heaven. Senate District 19, which was held by uh, San Antonio Democrat Carlos Uresti until his resignation last month. Uh, Emma, you've covered the chronicles of Uresti. Tell and us how we got many. to this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carlos Uresti, a veteran of the Texas legislature, he was um, in the ledge for almost 20 years, more than 20 years, my mistake, uh, before resigning last month, as you mentioned. He was indicted last year on fraud charges related to his work as a lawyer, basically, for a now bankrupt frack sand company found to have perpetrated a Ponzi scheme. Now um, bankrupt crack sand company. Okay, frack sand. Frack yeah. sand. Got it. Wow. <laughs> How many times Swirls have I written that phrase? Yeah. Right. Uh, convicted of 11 felonies in February, sentenced to 12 years in prison just a few weeks ago, and he faces another 
uh, fraud trial in an unrelated case, bribery case, in October in federal court in San Antonio. So uh, needless to say, you know, there's someone who's going to be replacing him. And <laughs> <laughs> Strangely. Thank you. That's a great segue. Surprisingly, to right. Yeah. In this it was topic. very smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hold your horses yeah. on the punditry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Governor Abbott set this special election for July 31st. Uh, Ross, I mean, are there it's any... The, poli- it's what's the, the day the, Ted Cruz got elected exactly. over what David Duhart. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are the politics that timing, if any? Uh, everybody's on vacation. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, everybody's gone to SeaWorld. And, and so the question in a race like this is always in a midsummer race, um, who's going to vote? Who's going to show up for this? And, you know, if you get uh, the, the activist voters, who does that favor? Does it favor in a district like this one, which has a peculiar geography, goes all the way from San Antonio to... Uh, El Paso County takes in most of the of the border, um, and most of the urban population is in San Antonio. Is that an easier voter turnout population than getting you know people in you know uh, sparse West Texas to vote? All of those things are going to come into play in this. Who can you yeah. who gets their people out? Um, some of the candidates are stronger in San Antonio, in particular, a couple of the Republicans, Pete Flores, and um, I'm blanking. Help. Um, there's two Republican Pete candidates. Is the main Republican. Right, he's the, the main one. And then previously um, ran against Oresti. Right. And then um, Gutierrez, Roland Gutierrez, who's a member of the Texas House and a Democrat, is from San Antonio. Gallego, the other, I guess, who's led in some of the the third party polls we've seen, is from Alpine, and you know he's been kind of a presence in San Antonio, but he doesn't live there. So you know maybe the urban advantage was, is with the other guys. On the other hand, Gallego's House yeah. district and his congressional district overlapped all of this, you know, big bend expanse that, from San Antonio to El Paso. So it right. just depends on who gets people yeah. out in July while it's 138 degrees and, you know, how's that yeah. go? Yeah, we have, we have four Democrats. You mentioned Pete Gallego, Roland Gutierrez. I think they're probably the most prominent names in that in that bunch. Then you have three Republicans, one of them being Pete Flores, who unsuccessfully challenged right. arresting in 2016. And I believe you have one Libertarian or, or Independent. Right. Is, this is going to a runoff, we imagine? I can't imagine yeah. that it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, it's very possible with that many candidates. I, you know, Ross likes to give me history lessons about weird <laughs> special elections in San Antonio. This district has been held by Uresti, a Democrat, obviously, for a long time. But as we point out, this is a weird district. It's very big. It touches the New Mexico border. Um, could we see it change hands, as we've seen in other historical... Uh, yeah. There's also an Uresti on the <laughs> I was going to say, we should have mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his, yeah. yeah. His, his brother, Tomas Uresti, is one of the one of the Democratic candidates. He fought on the last day with a you know loaned himself. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it was an interesting tribute to his brother, considering that uh, Tomas, you know, relatively uncontroversial freshman in the Texas House, lost his primary in March. Most people attributed that to his brother's eleven felony convictions. Um, Uresti just last week asked the taxpayers to fund his appeal. Carlos of his federal Uresti conviction. Did. Carlos Uresti <laughs> did. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> to, is Tomas Uresti's problem, clear, right? But, yeah. You know, it, it seems like this his brother's conviction hurt him in March. Seems likely that it could hurt him again yeah. in July. You know, it's funny if we every year we have races in you know the primary or general election where someone's got a name that sounds like something else, and that guy does incre- weirdly well. Right. Uh, but right. this is a special election, so you have to figure it's, everyone going in at least has an idea of who they're voting for because it's one race. You don't just go and like that race comes up and oh, I don't know any of the candidates. Right. I picked the one right. I recognize. Presumably, they know who they're voting for. If this had no other things going on, Oresti would be a brand name in this race because, you know, Carlos right. has had the seat for so long. Tomas has been on the ballot before. Mm-hmm. 
bada bing, bada boom. But it's the wrong kind of brand name right now. It's been, mm -hmm. as you say, you know, it's been in the wrong kind of headlines for a long time. Those headlines about Carlos probably got Tomas beat in the Democratic primary for a re-election to the, to the Texas House. So depends on who shows up. Do the arrestee loyalists, whatever's left of them, show up? Mm -hmm. it, does Gutierrez have a turnout machine? Does Gallego, does Pete Flores do really well because right. Republican votes gather around him? It'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, most, most of the combat, just one last point on this, most of the combat so far, or at least in recent days and weeks, has been between Roland Gutierrez and, and Pete Gallego. What have they been, been fighting over and, and how consequential is it? There was an ad that uh, came out that I believe right. uh, Gallego accused Gutierrez of... Or I'm sorry, Gutierrez accused, Gutierrez, yeah, yeah. accused Gallego <laughs> of um, employing Trump tactics, which... I guess in the ad, yeah, 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 yeah. which is like the dirtiest word probably. If right. this is a, you know, Democrat on Democrat race, yeah, yeah. The, the ad that Gutierrez put out, you know, basically presented Gutierrez as a fresh face. Peak guy right. goes a failed politician, you know. I think he said trying to he's, bring his he's, tired he's, old ideas to right. the Texas Senate. Yeah, um, that's that's the old one. This is the new one. Um, yeah. The the Gallego shot at Gutierrez is about taxes and whether he right. paid him or not. Gutierrez says he did. Gallego says he didn't. You know, he said he said yeah. things. Um, I think it tells you a lot about who the candidates in the races think their main opponents are. Right. In some ways, you know, you you know, you're trying to take down that guy because he's ahead of you. You never shoot at somebody who's behind you. Right. 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 Or you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. All right. So people pay attention to that special election. <laughs> Some July great issues going on. <laughs> Have a nice July. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got just uh, a couple minutes left here to catch up on some questions that were coming in uh, from Tory. Uh, what does it say that the for the Republican Party that Republicans in our state are calling out the president for this? Jason Villalba went as far to as far to call for as, as to call for impeachment. Thoughts? We kind of covered that, but I mean, how much do we read into this moment in the Republican Party in Texas? You know, give me somebody who's on the ballot shooting at Trump, right? And, and we'll have a conversation. Besides, we'll hurt. <laughs> Well, right. Yeah. You know, well, Will Hurd's in a district where, you know, he's, you know, it's a, it's an advantage to that particular Republican to have driven around the state with Beto O'Rourke, mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a peculiar district. He's in a different situation than most of the Republicans. Most of them have to rely on strong Republican base voters. Hurd and his opponent, uh, Gina Ortiz, has to have to rely on swing voters who might vote for a Republican this time, vote for a Democrat next time pick their way down the ballot. You know, the uh, Washington Post had a story today, I think, about um, did uh, Democrats now see Russia as a potentially galvanizing issue after the Helsinki summit? And I just kept thinking, didn't they say that about, like, school shootings a few months ago? And didn't they say that about family separations at the border, like, three weeks ago? And it just makes me think, by late October, what are we going to be talking about as right. this is what's galvanizing voters? And I'm just going to wonder if we're going to think it's so quaint, the idea that this Helsinki su summit is a major force or maybe i'm wrong but it just feels like it's too early to say you know that's the that's the recent impact. history yeah. you know is that we'll just we'll, we'll be talking about something else later right yeah yeah one last question if turnout is already so low in texas primaries and even november elections how important of a role do constituents really play in a special election do constituents play yeah i you know i guess I'm, yeah. You, they decide, right? <laughs> Show up or don't. Every, you want to be important. Such a question. They're, like, the they're like super voters. I mean, if 100% if 100 of us vote, I get 1% of the vote. If 2 of us vote, I get 50%. You know, I'm, yeah. the Pretty good the, deal. the turnout in these things is really small and if you can get what otherwise would be an insignificant number of people to the polls, you can win an election. I mean, that's that's the whole trick here. 
Yeah. All right. That's all the time we have. If you like listening to the TripCast every week, we hope you'll try our audio news brief, which shows up every morning on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker or podcast player. Search for Texas Tribune Brief on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to the Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, the Texas Farm Bureau, and the Texas Association of Realtors, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Ross, Amon, Emma, and our producers, Bobby, Todd, and Michael, this is Patrick. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. We got away with the uh, the alarm there. I used the wrong, uh, the one that counts down instead of up. Okay, we're off. We should introduce that. It's like, it's like a hook comes out of yeah. your phone and grabs you around the neck. <laughs>